Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. God bless you, get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID-free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Folks, my guest today is the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. He's the author of five books, including How Propaganda Works, winner of the Prose Award in Philosophy from the Association of American Publishers, and How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. And of course, he has written frequently about propaganda, free speech, mass incarceration, democracy, and authoritarianism for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Boston Review, the Chronicle of Higher Education and Project Syndicate. And we should also mention he serves on the board of the Prison Policy Initiative. Very important. We're here to talk today about the new preface and the paperback publication of How Fascism Works. And we know how applicable it is to what's going on right now. So who better to talk to than Professor Jason Stanley. Jason, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing as well as can be. I don't have COVID. Uh, you know, I have a job. Uh, thank God academia is one of those industries where, you know, you can have a job, uh, even if, uh, you know, where we have tenure. Uh, so, um, 
I'm, I'm doing well. My family's doing well. And you? Good. They're just fine. Just fine. We, I'm here in this epicenter in New York, and we've been blessed. It hasn't touched us. So yeah. we're thankful. Wonderful. Where are you in, where are you, you in New York? Which neighborhood? I, I'm in the city. I'm in the city. I live in the Bronx. Oh, in the Bronx. Right. Yeah. We lived in Harlem for many years. Is that right? Um, so, but, so since you mentioned that, um, what's Yale doing? Are, are they going to open? Are you going to be online? Or? Uh, we're going to be online. So, which I think is, I mean, elsewhere in the world, they're opening up. Summer camps are open and throughout Europe. My friends, who uh, many of my friends have decamped to Europe since so many universities are going online. And everywhere else in the world, so many other places in the world, all the other first world, you know, developed economies are opening back up, have opened up. Schools are open. Summer camps are open. Uh, and here the pandemic rages and the chances of getting it under control in the next few years are, you know, not obviously high. Um, and they've all opened, obviously, because they did what they had to do in the beginning, unlike those, unlike the United States. That's right. I mean, the uh, president, the Trump administration, uh, just like Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, another country that's doing a disastrous job, uh, doesn't think in terms of like ask the scientists, ask the researchers. It's all friend. Is this for us or against us? How does this help us? How does this hurt us? How can we make? How can our friends make money off this? Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, it's it's not obviously in the best interests. Why is it in the interests of the Trump administration to do anything about it? I mean, they need to think about that, right? They need to think. Well, will it help us or hurt us in the elections? Because that's how this administration thinks. They don't think about what is for the well-being of the United States. I think, will this help us? Will it tamp down attendance at the polls? Will it help the pharmaceutical companies and increase their, uh, it will, it will help us, you know, create a shadow CDC uh, with the private sector. Um, and, uh, and, you know, much of what we're seeing is that, is the looting of the government. The Republicans have told us for a long time that government is incompetent. And now is their chance to show it. I think they're definitely showing it. Or another question is, is, is Jared right? Can we propagandize that the economy is great because I need that to win? And in their own words, let COVID just, he has Dr. Fauci, wash over yeah, yeah. the United States. Yeah, no, where that's is, the reality construction where, aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just, just crazy. And I know in the preface and in the book, you, you've updated it. The book was first published a couple of years ago, but you've updated it in terms of, of COVID and whatnot. But, but I think what I want to do is address all of that as we go through the pillars. I had an, another uh, professor on um, last week, Professor Brittany Cooper. Brittany! <laughs> yeah. We're good friends. <laughs> you know, He's yeah, great. And she had popularized the term necropolitics. Yeah. And we just had class, Jason, you know, so I want our audience to have class with you because we throw the word fascism around, fascism, fascism, fascism. But how many of us actually know what it is and are able to define it? Now, when you all hear this, it's going to blow your mind because you're right. This is fascist. But Jason has broken it down into 10 pillars. And I want to I want to get into those and let's make them applicable 
to uh, air Trump. Um, so, uh, first of all, the first one I love, folks, this has been as glaring, it's been no more glaring than now with the Confederate statues, but the mythic past. Yep. So, fascism always happens when an empire is in decline, when, when we're feeling the decline of empire all around us right now. This is what it's like to live in a declining empire when you realize all of a sudden that, oh no, we're not the special place. We're declining in the world. We've been declining. We just weren't allowed to say it. And then that's the moment where some leader will come and they'll say, in the past, we were great. We had a great military. We were all those things. The reason we're declining is because we've been asked to confront our own mistakes. We've been asked to look at our own history. We have to get rid of that. We look at what Tom Cotton just did. Senator Tom Cotton just introduced a bill to remove funding from school districts that assign the 1619 project, Nicole Hannah Jones's 1619 project. So, uh, you know, the idea is keep the glorious past. Always fa fascism is about, uh, you know, liberals, movements for equality are trying to make us ashamed about our past. They're trying to humiliate us. And that's why these movements for equality are the enemy of our country. And we have to reclaim the past. We have to beat down these challenges and make sure that we teach history as the gloriousness of our nation. So in the United States, the form that is always going to take, that is fated to take, is white supremacy. Because our history uh, is uh, you know, American nationalism, is, uh, you know, this is what black intellectuals have been fighting against, activists have been fighting against and trying to redefine. But American nationalism early on was white nationalism, white Christian nationalism. And so, uh, so figures from Frederick Douglass to Black Lives Matter today are trying to, to reclaim, uh, you know, tr trying to make our real us realize our ideals and, and overcome that. But the way that those movements to overcome that are represented in this politics is as a fundamental threat. And then people are made to feel nostalgic for a past that never was. People feel anxious and fearful because, hey, it's turning out as we're looking around, we've made some decisions in the United States that have destroyed our country, that have made us weak, that have exposed us to the world. Uh, Everyone else is in summer camp now. The kids are in summer camp. The United States is, you know, the poverty here, the unemployment, the oligarchy, the greed, the kleptocracy, the incompetence. And so they feel nostalgic and fearful. The more the incompetence grows, the more fearful they get. And then you tell them, in the past, you were great. In the past, you ruled over the world. And you know what? These people who are trying to tell you about the problems, and the issues that we need to address and repair, they're the ones who are trying to make, they're the ones responsible for our decline. Yeah, yeah. and part of that make America great again, that's now demoralized because more than ever before, we're in the moment of reckoning. I mean, yeah. you even have current military members saying, we need to take those Confederate statues down. Yeah. People at the University of Kentucky, Jason, oh my God, want to take Adolph Rupp's name off of the building. Wow. I mean, 
the Washington football team. It's, 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 yeah. it, so, I mean, that's that's not good news for the make um, the MAGA hat crowd. Well, it is it is good news because it can be rep- also. Well, it's not good news. Of course, it's not good news. And to some extent, we're seeing. I think my diagnosis of the difference now, the reason so many white liberals are joining these movements now, as opposed to in 2015, as opposed to Rodney King in 1992, as opposed to 1968, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to the long history of protests, black political protests against police brutality, against massive inequality. Uh, The reason white liberals are now joining this is because I think they can see that as long as you have this history, as long as you don't confront this history, you're always going to get a Donald Trump. You're always going to get a Donald Trump. And so you're like, oh, (laughs) the Confederate statues, that leads to a Donald Trump. And, you know, this is not good for any of us. This is a kleptocracy we're living in. This is a banana republic. And so we have to avoid uh, regularizing uh, this politics. Yeah. Well, but I would just add to that, too, though. I think, again, he's his own worst enemy because his lack of response to COVID. Yeah. Which has forced everyone to stay home. Right. And thereby create a captive audience. And I'm sure this is true for you, too. We know what you and I know white liberals. And to a certain point, they're cool. Let me tell you, man, people I thought were cooler than they really were when people were home and forced to see on a loop yeah. Ahmaud Arbery and George That's Floyd right. people start right. calling me and said Mark I have to confess to you I really didn't yeah. get this I didn't know it I was like well I thought you did they said no this I mean it was people were mortified I mean when you see that and then I think that's a part of it too and that was the worst thing in the world for him because, see, I'll be honest with you, these things have happened before, and we know how brief the news cycle is. But we're stuck at home. Right. Yeah. And when people saw that, Jason, it was like the whole thing. The temp, opening day, the Tampa Bay Rays tweeted, it's opening day, and it's a good day to arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor. But we, would you, did but you we, ever think yeah. Fenway yeah. Park would put a Black Lives Matter yeah. sign? Yeah. yeah. I know. I found my park. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it's, it's, the change is remarkable. It's just that uh, we have to, and, and you're right. And we did have months without sports and sports are an instrument for change, but they're also an instrument of mass distraction. And, you know, there was nothing to watch. And so since there was nothing to watch them and Americans had to think things were changing, the, the, uh, the, the structure of things was changing. So people had to think, about their businesses politically. They had to think about what is the new society going to look like? And, you know, the essential workers were black and brown. <laughs> and so uh, you, you, you could see that, that there were these disparate effects and people had time to think. And in a democracy, people need time to think. The goal in fascist politics is not giving people time to think. You flood them with drama. You flood them with 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 a news cycle that is just churning. So, uh, and, you know, Hannah Arendt says this, she says, you know, there, there's the uh, spectacular, you know, there's the uh, merry-go-round or something of, of totalitarian politics. And if it stops, it fails. And what your point 
your point you're making, Mark, is COVID stopped it for a moment, and yeah. and and people could reflect. So, so and that, that's a good segue into the, the second pillar, and that's propaganda. Yeah, the normal merry-go-round of Absolutely. propaganda was undermined by COVID. Fox exactly. kind of lost its hold yeah. on people. But but again, let me give the floor to you. How prop, the role propaganda plays in a, a fascist regime? Uh, so there's a very particular form of propaganda. Um, I mean, the whole book, my whole book is about fascist propaganda. So the different chapters we're going to go through are about, uh, about the different tropes. Uh, so to some extent, the whole book is, a, is a, the way propaganda works is there are these narratives and there are these familiar narratives. Um, this is going to arise in several different chapters, but, uh, but let me just give an example now, like take the protocols of the elders of Zion. There's a secret group that control the press, they control the universities. They're trying to foment a race war. Uh, you know, the idea is Jews are trying to get black people to rebel. So there's a race war to overthrow the white race. Uh, and they're using the media. They're using the, uh, they're using the media. They're using the, uh, the, uh, the universities to spread, uh, you know, this propaganda about equality and social justice. Um, and, and now we have, you know, those conspiracy theories and QAnon, like, uh, like a, grand, a granddaddy conspiracy theory. Or take, you know, the immigrants uh, and the minorities are threatening our women, uh, you know, uh, or the cities are burning and lawless. Uh, these are familiar tropes. And so what you try to do is you try to switch people to them because they feel familiar. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that. The cities are burning. Like, remember, you know, uh, Escape from New York? I saw that movie, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so, pro so that's what you're trying to do in a propaganda strategy. Um, now, there's a particular characteristic form of fascist propaganda, which is how you see that it's embedded in the history of the United States. And, um, and you know, you can see it, I mean, with Douglass's 1852 speech, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, uh, you know, he says, what do you mean by liberty in this country? when you have slavery. Uh, so you can take the example of, you know, uh, states' rights. Well, what was that the, you know, we want liberty from the federal government. Well, what was it liberty to do? To enslave other people. So liberty is used to undermine liberty. Uh, one thing I found in my research on fascism, um, and, uh, and Du Bois and Black Reconstruction is very clear about this, is whenever all these fascists movements are all anti-corruption movements. So if you recall in 2016, Trump ran an anti-corruption campaign. The most tr corrupt candidate ever ran an anti-corruption campaign. And that is typical. Hitler ran an anti-corruption campaign. Putin ran, runs an anti-corruption campaign. And um, why did Reconstruction end? Reconstruction ended because uh, uh, white uh, white Northerners and the, the, the whites in the North and the South agreed to say that black people running governments, state governments and cities, uh, they were corrupt. And so they had to take over, take them over and run them for them, obviously robbing them of any political rights. And of course, Du Bois and Black Reconstruction shows that the best run governments ever were the you know South Carolina legislature when it was majority black. Uh, so. Uh, so this move of, of saying 
corruption, you know, accusing the other person of corruption when you're the corrupt person. Um, that is characteristic. Accusing the other person of lawlessness when you're the lawless one, that is characteristic. Things mean they're opposite. In the speech in Mount Rushmore, Trump said, there's a left-wing fascism happening. Well, you know, so this projection that Trump always does, that's a classic fascist move. And we're familiar with that, very familiar with that in the United States. Um, uh, representing, uh, you know, representing uh, movements, misrepresenting protests as riots. Um, this is... Uh, this is, this is characteristic of counterinsurgency everywhere, but this reversal of things, calling your opponent what you are. Uh, so the law and order chapter that we'll get to is an example of this, where law and order doesn't mean law and order. It means the opposite of law and order. Uh, a corruption doesn't mean corruption. And, you know, <laughs> because, you know. And even as he said in 2016, it's going to be rigged. Right, it's going to exactly. be rigged. He was the exactly. Right. Exactly. So that's right. You're absolutely right. They they do that well. And I know we're talking about Trump, but I'm, I just have to say this. Forgive me for saying this. Bush was a wall, but Kerry got swift boated. Yeah. You know they they, they go after they project onto the opponent yeah. even what's their own weakness. You know. So right. Yeah. The, the uh, yeah. The, the the Republican Party has been engaged. I mean. We all see the hypocrisy of the Republican Party right now. The Republican yeah. Party, I blame this on, these are fascist forces that we face. In 1995, Toni Morrison gave a Howard University speech called Racism and Fascism. Um, and in it, she says, the United States has often preferred fascist solutions to political questions. And that's, so these forces that we're talking about, Trump is the symptom not the cause. Nobody's more American than Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, these are forces that he's been riding since, as I emphasize in my book, the Central Park Five, you know. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Okay, so another pillar is anti-intellectual, which, and nowadays, when you see Trump's, if you look up intellectual, intellectual in the dictionary, you see Trump's face. <laughs> but, but talk to us about how they're used in fashion. So you always target the universities. You say the universities are dens of ide ideology because you want to preserve the mythic past. You want to make sure that, uh, that, the, that the schools and universities teach this vision of the past uh, that, you know, um, the Dunning School of History, that, you know, I learned, I'm 50 years old, and I learned that Reconstruction, I learned, I didn't learn, it's false, but... I was told that Reconstruction failed because black politicians were corrupt and weren't ready for self-governance. And it wasn't until I read Du Bois that I learned that, you know, for until the late 1960s, this was taught as fact. It's complete, absolute uh, crock. Um, so you take over, so uh, African-American studies in the United States, Middle Eastern studies, gender studies all over the world, gender studies is, is being attacked. Anything that threatens this hierarchical view of history, this view of history where, you know, uh, our nation was great, men were men, capitalism rules. You say the universities challenge capitalism. The universities are filled with Marxists. They're filled with uh, people who want to turn your boys into girls, uh, gay ideology, uh, uh, critical race theory, 
Um, it's leftist indoctrination. And all over the world, we're seeing universities being attacked in the world's largest democracies. Bolsonaro defunded the universities by 30%. They're all public universities, so that's a massive hit. We have many private universities here. Trump has threatened to challenge the tax-exempt status of our private universities. So he's going after the universities. The attack on, we have that constant attack on universities, which was when Black Lives Matter in 2015 moved onto university campuses, first with Concerned Students 1950 at Mizzou, then with, uh, uh, or look at Professor, uh, and then with uh, Next Yale and a bunch of other student movements. These were attacked as like, oh, look at the students gone, gone wild. Um, so you, you represent, uh, you know, figures like if, if you look at an organization like Turning Point USA, Turning Point USA is an organization that arose to attack universities for having leftist ideologues on it. Charlie Kirk, their leader, it was the most radical one. It was the most radical of all these organizations. They had a professor watch list. And one of the first professors on the professor watch list, you know who what, what, one of the first professors that was on the cover was? Your guest last week, Professor Brittany Cooper, the great professor oh, yeah. Brittany Cooper. Target, right on her. They went after pro-Palestinian professors, black studies professors. And Professor Cooper is brilliant, but you know, I mean, she is, you know, she was a Hillary Clinton supporter. We're not talking some radical Marxist here, <laughs> you know, but they put her on the right. cover of Turning Point, the professor watch list. Um, so this, this, this uh, you know, Hungary, the best university in Hungary was Central European University. They closed Central European University and forced it out of the country, Orban, Viktor Orban, because he said it was teaching gender ideology and Marxism and cultural Marxism. So uh, then you turn to the scientists and you say, no, we're not going to believe the scientists, the climate change scientists, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Dr. Fauci. We're not going to believe them. We're not going to take them seriously. You know, as Hitler says in Mein Kampf, Science is just there for national pride. So you need to attack, uh, you know, you, you need to attack, you, in fascism, there's one truth, the truth of the nation and the greatness of the leader. In America, the form that's going to take is the, there's one truth, you know, the greatness of Robert E. Lee, you know, the sanctity of the Civil War, uh, and, and, and institutions that challenge that truth are fundamental threats to the narrative of the nation. You know, when you talk, or labor rights, we can't leave labor rights out of it. In, in Martin Niemöller's poem is, first they came for the, for the communists, then they came, and I, I said nothing because I'm not a, I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I said nothing because I was not a trade unionist. We've had a systematic attack on labor unions in this country. Um, du Bois is very clear about that in Black Reconstruction, that you know, it was the prospect of poor whites and poor blacks joining together in a labor movement that is so threatening. So, uh, so, so you have to attack labor studies, you have to attack, uh, you, you say universities are spreading Marxism and anti-capitalism. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so that's something we see all the time. We've, we're seeing the United States as the greatest universities in the world, and they're under vicious attack by the United States. <laughs> And, and we see the anti-intellectualism also in the resistance to science-based information when it comes to climate, and especially when it comes to COVID. Absolutely. I mean, he fought, they fought science on what was best and still pretty much are doing that. You know, he's, he's modified somewhat. Um, but, but let me ask you this. 
is part of the anti-intellectualism anti professor also manifest in the lack of shame when he or they say and do stupid things and look stupid? Does that, is that also a way of, of kind of saying to the base, well, you know, we, we may say dumb things sometimes, but at least we aren't intellectuals. Is, is that, do you think, embedded in there somehow? Because the average person, I mean, we, we'd be embarrassed, shamed, shunned right. <laughs> if some of the things came out of our mouths yeah. that come out of theirs. So does that, is that a, does, does an anti-intellectual yeah. culture foster even stupid things like president, man, woman, camera, TV? Famous, famous quote from, uh, from, I forget which Nazi leader said this. Um, when I hear the word culture, I reach for my revolver. Mm. So, you know, intellectuals are the enemy, you know, uh, you, you operate from your gut, you know, a real man operates from his gut. And there's also, you know, and you want to humiliate the intellectuals. The intellectuals are like feminized. You feminize the intellectuals. They're not real right. men. And so, you know, and the idea is, you know, you grind their face in the humility. Hannah Arendt says, uh, the in in the uh, in the uh, section called the temporary alliance between the mob and the elite, she said, you know, uh, a, a certain portion of German society felt delight in seeing like the leaders of the society having their having to bow and scrape before a humble house painter, a vulgar house painter, you know. So the idea is people get visceral pleasure out of seeing intellectuals, out of seeing Yale professors having to like uh, you know call Donald Trump. Mr. President. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, so, uh, so, you know, that's the, uh, the and, and there's some healthiness to that. There's some healthiness to that because, you know, it's the elite who got us into this problem in the first place. The elites paved the way for Mr. Trump, for the, the president uh, to, to win by the Iraq war, by the, uh, by the financial crisis, by the constant failing and to deal uh, the, with the people's problems and just, you know, uh, a self-dealing between Wall Street and government. And so Donald Trump could rightfully come and say, the game is rigged, the system is rigged, these are all corrupt, because it was all corrupt. <laughs> so. so another pillar is unreality. There's a, a concept we've learned recently because of Putin. Um, a strategy he uses called the fog of unknowability. Is that kind of what unreality is where facts, you know, we're kind of in a, a post-factual environment. Well, you blanket, uh, you, so I, I first started working on these topics in 2010, 2011. My first New York Times piece is I believe 2011 or 2012, 2011 on birtherism. Because when I heard birtherism, I was like, that's worrisome. That's the kind of conspiracy theory that you hear about in a non-democratic society that sort of spins people's minds and they can't really, you know, it, it's like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Oh, behind everybody is the Jew, you know. Like here, you know, behind everyone is the communist gay Muslim. And, uh, and so Obama was said to be born elsewhere and really an anti-democrat, anti-American Muslim agent. And uh, 
and who was who was advancing that? Donald Trump. And so, uh, so when conspiracies flood the zone, when pe when when a whole bunch of people think in terms of conspiracy conspiracies, they lose all touch with uh, anything that uh, that uh, you know conspiracy politics. Uh, causes you to lose touch. Now, it's not to say that conspiracies are never wrong. I mean, uh, and sometimes conspiracy th theory thinking can help. Like in the 80s, when there was a conspiracy theory that the government was bringing crack cocaine into cities, and that turned out to be true. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, uh, or or here's another one that was not true, but was kind of useful. Like KFC is poisoning you. Now, uh, KFC was not intentionally poisoning anyone, but the food is not good for you. And like the fact that there are no, there's no fresh food in urban areas where there are minority populations, you know, that's a helpful way to navigate. But when you're only thinking when that kind of, when, uh, so that these conspiracy theories are ways to think, you know, someone's out to get you and this isn't quite what's going on, but it'll give you some handle on stuff. They're your enemy. Um, and the KFC conspiracy theory was sort of correct because there, you know, there was an enemy, you know, capitalism that was trying to make. But this conspiracy theory that that QAnon say that, you know, uh, the Democrats are really running secret pedophilic sex rings. That's the that's the view. And the yeah. whole government, the whole structure of Congress and the Senate and the deep state are there to protect the sex ring, and Donald Trump is going to be the, the hero, Donald Trump, President Trump, is going to be the hero who's going to res rescue us from these pedophiles. And, and uh, so when you have that, you don't have a reality-based politics anymore. But I was also thinking, too, of, 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 I think Giuliani had the quote one time a couple of years ago about, you know, facts not really being facts. Anymore. Right, right. And so it keeps, yeah. that just keeps everyone con confused. I mean, that's a part of it too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, truth isn't the truth. <laughs> truth yeah. Right, right. yeah, that right. there's there, there's and your it, truth it, and there's my truth, and uh, yeah. and yeah. it doesn't and uh, and so that is that is how these think leaders think, and that's what happened with COVID because Trump just says I can define reality. That's I right. can define reality. We're ready to reopen. No, you know, no. but given a different reality. Okay, next pillar, hierarchy. Uh, excellent. So this, these all lead into each other. So when you're looking at fascism, you have to ask, is it the racism or is it the lying? And really, you know, Charles Blow had a good piece on it. Like it was like going back and forth in like 2016. He's like, it's the lying. He's like, it's actually the lying. But it's, it's curious, right? Is it the lying or is it the racism? Well, it turns out that they're two sides of the same coin. Because here's a big lie. Some of us are better than others. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all pretty much suck. So, you know, that's the truth. And, uh, and racism and sexism uh, or homophobia, you know, these are in Islamophobia. These are all enormous lies. They're enormous lies. Let's focus on racism. Maybe we can talk about uh, sexism as well, because that comes up repeatedly. I mean, Ida B. Wells and Southern Horrors makes an enormously important point about the connection between racism and sexism. When 
when she says, you know, when you're saying that white women, whenever they have a relationship with a black man, are being raped, you're, you're, you're claiming that white women have no agency. Mm-hmm. And so this whole, we're going to protect our women from the marauding, supposed marauding black rapist is sexist against white women. <laughs> and so sexism and racism are interlocked things. Um, uh, racism always takes the form like the Jews were always represented, Jewish men were always represented as seeking Aryan women, you know. Uh, so uh, sexism and racism are these interlocked things. And hierarchy is the view that one group uh, des- has its place in society because they deserve that place, because they deserve it because they're better. That's an enormous lie. And when you have a, a, like a racial wealth gap in the United States of you know, 12 to one or 20 to one. Uh, I forget what, I think it's, I think it's 12 to one. The average white family is born with 12 times, might be 20 to one, uh, uh, well over 10 to one, the relationship between black, white wealth and black wealth at birth. Then you're going to get a lot of white people um, just being born thinking they deserve what they have. They might be right. better. Uh, that is, yeah. you know, uh, uh, long ago, uh, Max Weber said, in every society, no matter what, where, where in the world or when, the group, no matter how accidental it obviously is, the group that's born into a better position always thinks their birthplace was justified by merit. Um, so that's an enormous lie. And when you have that enormous lie baked into the structure of your country, as we do in the United States, it, it sets you up for un, all the other things we talked about, unreality, anti-intellectualism, because as soon as you start probing history, you realize, wow, <laughs> race yeah. hierarchy is a lot. This is unjustified. And, and, then, and I see how they flow, too. So hierarchy, um, division between us and then yes. victimhood. Victimhood. So... Uh, so you know, we, we're victims because of minorities. Exactly. Because we deserve to be higher, is the thinking. Vic, the chapter six, chapter six, I think it's chapter six, chapter five, or the next chapter after hierarchy is called victimhood. The dominant group is the history's greatest victims. Um, you know, uh, you know, you, there's no victimhood like the dominant group's victimhood. Um, you go to India now, And Hindus who dominate society in every possible way, they dominate every branch of government, they're the vast majority, they claim that they're tremendous victims of Muslims because like 800 or 1,000 years ago, there were some Muslim emperors who supposedly forcibly converted or raped uh, Hindu women. And so this is a result. This victimhood thing, I mean, we're looking at, we're a young country and you can see, I mean, this could last for 1,000 years. uh, you know, the, I, when the minority group wants equality, be it women or be it uh, black people in America or Muslims in, uh, in, uh, in, in India, you will hear the dominant group claim that it is the greatest victim and victim, that they are the greatest victims in history. Um, yeah. Because any, any, I mean, and think about what would have to happen to achieve racial equality in the United States. Um, you know, uh, I'd have to, you know, my neighborhood is an almost all white neighborhood. I mean, except for my wife and children. 
but uh, but that that is uh, you know uh, it very few. We'd have to move into a neighborhood. We this whole neighborhood would have to change. Uh, the schools would have to change. Um, you'd have to really restructure everything, uh, and it would be a loss for a lot of people. Um, and the victimhood when you talk about making everything right. You know, we're all talking about reparations more and more these days. But if he and his minions are saying, but we're the victims, <laughs> you know, that that is also, you know, is an advanced form of propaganda in advance, a, a pre-propaganda to beat down. Well, they don't need reparations. We're victims. We're then. the ones you know? who need reparations. Right. And of course, you know, the history of racial hierarchy is a history of extraction, where all the money flows up the racial hierarchy, as do, you know, Du Bois uh, emphasizes in Souls. Uh, you know, the, the land groans from debt. It's extremely uh, expensive to be poor. Um, if you're wealthy, as Trump shows, people will give you billions in loans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you alluded to this earlier, law and order. Um, and that's what we've got going on right now. Let's send these un, undisclosed, unmarked federal agents out into especially black communities. And let's get law and order because we are all criminals. Yeah. So uh, law and order in fascism means the opposite of law and order. If you look right now at the different countries run by these people practicing these politics, Bolsonaro, Duterte and, and the Philippines, uh, Trump. Uh, I have one question for about my fellow, our fellow American. Does it feel like there's been a lot of order in the last three and a half years? <laughs> I mean, does this feel like order at all? <laughs> uh, you know, fascism, this does not feel like order. So they cultivate this madness because that's what it is, this chaos, in order to keep you thinking that you need a strong leader to provide order. But the order never actually comes. It just becomes more chaos as you, as you tear apart the institutions, tear things down, and the police become mechanisms uh, of uh, chaos. Um, you know, the more police the neighborhood is, the more crime, the more arrests there are. And since the more arrests there are, the more, connect, the more incarceration there is. Since the, when there's more incarceration, there's few, fewer parents around. When there are a few more parents around, you have to call the police when your kid does something bad, when a kid, when a teenager does something bad. And then instead of getting grounded, they get, you know, sentenced, you know, and then you have yeah. you know, more crime. <laughs> yeah. So law and order in this politics means you know, uh, is the opposite of law and order. It's it's lawlessness in the name of law and order. Um, another pillar, sexual anxiety. So, uh, yeah. he, he's losing suburban white women. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. So now, right, because he's talking about, you. look at what they're, just what I said, uh, actual racial equality will involve addressing, you know, um, the uh, NIMBYs, the not in my backyard, uh, you know, you're gonna actually have to dismantle uh, the structure of American cities and put people together so they live together, uh, so they have access to the same resources, the same parks. Um, you know, the Bronx, where you live, has massive uh, asthma problems because of 
uh, all the pollution from the different highways that go through it. You're gonna have to the, you're gonna have to reorient. The schools are great schools in New York City, but they're in Greenwich Village. They're in uh, the, you know they're in the white segregated areas um, uh, of New York. New York's incredibly segregated. So uh, Trump's the suburban housewife thing is all about that. Um, so uh, so uh, and it's about and then you know it's always the case that the men of the marginal of the feared group are said to be rapists. So Jewish men were said to be rapists. Um, uh, Muslims in India, uh, you know, they've had panics, regular panics about so-called Muslim loved jihads where Muslims are trying to marry, you know, impregnate Hindu women. And of course, lynching, you know, as Frederick Douglass said, when every plantation was run by uh, a white woman, woman and black men, there was not a single reported case of rape. But suddenly, after slavery, there's supposed to be all these rapes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right, right, so, right. So, and that's what you, and you say, you say it's a challenge to your manhood. And then the transgender politics that we're seeing now all over the world, where they're saying they're trying to turn your boys into girls because they, you, you want to make people feel like their manhood is at threat. You want to say your manhood is being challenged. You can't protect your women and children. Uh, lynching is about protecting white women. Uh, from the minority threat. Pogroms in Eastern Europe were about protecting little Christian babies from Jews who supposedly were using them in their ceremonies. And now we're doing that with immigrants. I mean, we've always done it with immigrants, but Trump is tripling down. You know, immigrants are MS-13 and they're here to rape your, to, you know. So that's the politics of sexual anxiety. Bad, bad hombres. Right, bad right. hombres, exactly. <laughs> right. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, I'm not sure if this will be familiar to you, uh, but the cities are burning. Uh, the, uh, yeah. You know, the cities are <laughs> the cities are filled with with minorities and foreigners and immigrants, and they're burning lawless, diseased places. You know, uh, the the true Americans live in the heartland, live in the rural areas. Uh, the cities are where the enemy lives. They're the the anti-national places. The cities are the look. So chapter one of Hitler's Mein Kampf is about the bucolic little town in the countryside where he grew up. Chapter two is called My Study and Struggles in Vienna. And, it, and he says, Vienna, foreign languages everywhere, foreigners, 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 and Jews, Jews, and more Jews. In, in Europe, Jews were associated with cities. Every city had a ghetto. And the ghetto was the place where the Jews lived. And America, not being particularly creative, just takes this and replaces Jew by black and, and puts, you know, inner city actually is used to mean the place where black Americans live, just as if we're in like Italy in the 18th century or something like that. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's what Sodom and Gomorrah is about. The homosexuals live in the cities, you know, so. Right, right. And, and, and again, the, the the liberals, the, the intellectuals, that, that's all that overlaps in exactly. city. Chapter 10. Now that's, I can't pronounce Abide that. Is Work shall make you free. That was on the gates of Auschwitz, the concentration camp. Because the idea was Jews were lazy. The idea was Jews were lazy and could do no work. So I've looked at education, like fifth grade education textbooks, 
in Germany from 1937, 1938, and they show soft Jewish, soft hands, and they say, these are Jewish hands, they've never done any work in their life. The idea was Jews just lent people money and sat back and never did any work. They weren't capable of work. Uh, and, and so concentration camps, labor camps, were place where, places where you sent communists and Jews to learn a work ethic. Uh, and so the out-group is always supposed to be lazy. And the in-group is supposed to be hard-working. They're hard-working. And then, you know, the idea of slavery, the idea of prisons, the idea of concentration camps and labor camps was to take a hated group and use their labor for free and then say, you know, we're giving them a, a work ethic. Um, and at the core of this is the idea of social Darwinism, of struggle. Hitler's book is called Mein Kampf, My Struggle. And the idea is that the superior group got there because they work harder, they're harder working. And the groups that are inferior are less capable of hard work. And that's why they need to be set to work. And Hitler was deeply influenced here by racial ideology, scientific racism. By the 19th century, scientific racist theories developed in the United States. And he modeled a lot of his thinking on uh, the antebellum South, on plantations. Um, and, and so, you know, he's like, there's a lot of, most people, you know, they need to be made to work. And, and so this thinking, and it also, in we also see it with COVID because the idea is like, you know, if you're not fit, you see it also in attitudes to the disabled. Um, the Nazis gassed the disabled because they weren't fit. They couldn't work hard. Um, and this also tells you the overlap between libertarianism and fascism. Why did libertarians vote for an authoritarian like president, would be authoritarian like President Trump? Well, um, it's because of the basis of this ideology, of these ideologies is social Darwinism, you know, winners and losers. And, uh, you know, uh, you're either a winner or a loser. If, if you're a loser, then you deserve to die. And so the disabled, you know, they don't have any place in this scheme. The elderly, they don't have any place. If you have a pandemic, well, just let the elderly die because the strong will survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and let's not extend unemployment insurance. Because, because that incentivizes people from going to, to work. To be lazy, unlike, you know, all the people who inherited $412 million from their parents. <laughs> yeah, the, right, uh, right. And, 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 and the proof is in the pudding. The last jobs report, it went up because they led people to believe we're reopening, it's safe to go back to work. And now those very same people have gotten sick again, those essential workers, and those numbers go back down. So it's like, you say to people, you call lazy, reopen, go back to work, and they go because they're not lazy. And then when they get sick from the premature reopening, you well, call the them sadness, lazy. The sadness is, what's important to see is this whole laziness thing is entirely ideological and has no contact with reality. So there's a defensiveness around people where they're like, well, we're not lazy. We're not lazy. You don't have to show me that you're not lazy. It's incredibly hard to be poor. Anyone not born poor wouldn't survive like two days working three jobs, like, you know, looking for like being hungry, being, you know, so, uh, so this whole idea of laziness, once you see that it's everywhere, that it's in every culture and society all throughout time that the group that is poor is said that they're poor because they're lazy. Then you realize that it has no contact with reality. Of course, 
the poorer you are, the less lazy you are, the harder life is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Professor Jason Stanley, folks, his book, uh, of course, How Fascism Works, do check it out. It's in paperback now. And again, we always talk about this, but it's high time we know exactly what it means. And the professor has given us a good lesson today. How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. What's your next book, man? What are you working on next? Uh, I'm working on an academic book on political speech to try to explain how uh, speech leads to violence, how ultimately when you start calling people snakes and cockroaches, when you start talk, call, calling whole groups of people terrorists, as we've done with Muslims since the, since the war on terror, since 9-11, then ultimately you start treating them terribly. Like how does speech result in treating people a certain way. So really like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in her in her 10 minute speech to the house house about being called a excuse my language fucking bitch by uh the, the, that other congressman gave us uh, I'm trying to explain how that works. Why when when one congressman feels free to call another congressman that uh th they treat uh women of color uh with that kind, with the according, with with the disrespect you would expect, given the language they're using. Indeed, folks, required reading for this audience: How Fascism Works. Check it out. Listen to this podcast. Share share it with friends, and we may even have a pop quiz. Jason, we're going to have you back, man. It's good to talk so to. So great you. discussion. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you, man. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about.
As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.